Hello, and welcome to The Doctor Is In, a podcast created by the healthcare experts of IU Health Physicians at IU Health Fort Wayne. In this podcast series, you will learn all about important, timely, and interesting health matters as they relate to you, the listener, and all from those who know it the best. Now, sit back and enjoy this episode of The Doctor Is In. So, um, thanks, Lisa, for the introduction. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, for those who are just joining, that um, Christine Herman is joining me today. Christine is a physician's assistant. She's been in clinical practice for almost 20 years, so she's really experienced. She was in Michigan for a while, is that right, Christine? Correct. And then um, has lived in Indiana now for a while, and she joined us with IU Health as one of our first practitioners, actually, in December of 2018. So. Christine's got um, a lot of experience within our practice as well. Um, and she sees a lot of people with um, uh, insulin-dependent and non-insulin-dependent diabetics. Um, and when we talked about the best subject matter today, one of Lisa's requests was to maybe talk a little bit about some of the medications that are particular to diabetics that are newish medicines. So we will spend some time talking about that. but. But I thought, and I I'm, I'm hope I'm not being too presumptuous, but I just wanted to actually just go through some fundamental aspects of non-insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus, type 2 diabetes, um, as a front-end discussion. And then we'll, we will spend some time, significant amount of time, on the medications um, so that we can give you um, some of our most current knowledge and um, what we understand to be the benefits and the, the challenges of some of these medicines. So, um, Christine, thanks for joining me. Um, thanks for having me. Totally my pleasure. So, talk a little bit about what it is. What is non-insulin-dependent diabetes? And, um, and, I, and then we'll talk a little bit about how we diagnose it. Right. There are more than one kind of diabetes, as you probably know. Um, we used to divide them between the patients that needed to be on insulin versus patients who didn't need insulin. Um, and as we go through this talk, you'll see that the line is a little more blurred now. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times we'll refer to type 1 diabetes, which is usually um, patients that become diabetic in childhood, mm -hmm. and type 2 diabetes, who are patients who become diabetics as adults. Um, but sometimes they end up needing insulin with mm -hmm. our, our current treatment plans now. Um, and we'll also touch a little bit on kind of a, a gray area um, known as prediabetes. So you're not diabetic yet, but you're kind of heading in that direction, you know, and what we do with those people and how we guide them to try to avert them from going on to the type 2 diabetes. Yeah, I really like that. I, I hope we do have some time to talk about those things. So, so tell me how you diagnose someone. How does it become clear that a person is either prediabetic or diabetic? What what shows up on their physical exam or what shows up on their laboratory data that would tip you to the fact that there's an issue? Yeah, a lot of the diagnosis that we do in the clinic is, is based on screening lab work that we do with the patients. Um, there's two main tests that we use in, in primary care. One of them is just a fasting glucose test um, and, and based on what their levels on that test are. So a normal test would be anything under 100, mm -hmm. would it be in the normal range. And then anything over 126 is considered a diabetic range. Mm -hmm. um, but we have, like I said, kind of that gray area in the middle, anywhere between the 100 up to 125. And those patients in that range would be classified as pre-diabetic. Okay. So 
Um, but so that's one of our main tests. The other test on blood work would be a hemoglobin A1C test, mm -hmm. and that gives us a better idea over the last three months how someone's blood sugar has been running mm -hmm. um, versus the blood sugar, which is just their sugar that on that one day, right in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, so the hemoglobin A1C tells us over the last three months whether it's been in a normal or elevated range, um, and there's specific numbers for that too. So. Those numbers run differ differently than the regular glucose, but 5.7, under 5.7 is a normal level. Mm -hmm. If you get over 6.5, it's a diabetic level, and then you, again, have that in-between range, which is a pre-diabetes range. Mm -hmm. So how, mm -hmm. explain just so mm -hmm. that they understand a mm -hmm. little bit about how that works, how the, mm -hmm. is it glycosylated hemoglobin, or what is it that, um, is there something that actually attaches to your hemoglobin that's detectable that if your sugars are yes. running high, it, it just shows up in a higher percentage, or how does that work? Yes, it, it is. When we um, say hemoglobin, we're actually talking about the red blood cells, the hemoglobin part of them. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on how much sugar is in your blood, the sugars will attach onto those red blood cells or onto the hemoglobin. Mm -hmm. So that hemoglobin A1C number is actually the percentage. Mm -hmm. How many of those blood cells have glucose attached to them? Mm -hmm. And so if there's more sugar in your blood, then the percentage of those cells that have the glucose attached is higher. Yeah. So I've, I've been told that that number is sort of a long look. It's not a short look. Um, that, and it's, it, it takes some time to move that number a little bit. So how is it that that works? Do you know how that happens? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the lifespan of the red blood cells mm -hmm. is roughly three months. Okay. So that's why we say that whatever your number is now, that's your average over the last three months. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. That, that really helps me to understand it. And you know, one of the things that people talk about in clinical practice is we measure this, the A1Cs. It's one of the things that we use as a quality measure for diabetes care. Mm -hmm. And when we've got people that have really high ones, we think, well, let's just measure more often, but it really doesn't help you to measure super frequently because it doesn't change fast, does it? It's right. not, not like a blood sugar level. Right, and that's a good point that you're making. We not only use that to diagnose people with diabetes, but once we know that you're diabetic, we use those numbers to see how well your therapy is doing. Yeah, good, awesome. All right, so um, let's talk about the clinical signs and symptoms of diabetes. I I'm guessing most of the nurses in this mm -hmm. panel know it, but let's talk a little bit about when a person comes into you and they start describing symptoms they're having, why it would, would say to you, hmm, maybe I should be looking for diabetes in this patient. So what kind of signs and symptoms might you be looking for? And what, what might they be looking for in their work population? Right, with the type two diabetes, the signs and symptoms that we're going to see are gonna be symptoms of elevated blood sugar or hyperglycemia. Mm -hmm. um, so those things would include being really thirsty, frequent urination, sometimes an increased hunger, um, depends on how long they've been having elevated blood sugars. It will get to the point where they may have weight loss mm. due to that. Um, they may have more frequent infections. Um, skin wounds or skin infections will take longer to heal. Mm -hmm. So there can be a lot of different signs. Yeah, so for you guys, we'll talk about this at the end. Mm -hmm. I really am interested in hearing what kinds of things you'd be looking for. Uh, because from two points of view, we would want to have this discussion. One is, um, how might you recognize as a frontline person, recognize a person who is at risk or who is a diabetic that hasn't been discovered yet? And then secondly, and I think pr you probably are asking us to talk with you a little bit about is, how do we recognize when people are having problems with their medicines? 
um, and what's that going to manifest itself like? How is it going to behave in a person who's working in your factories that might be being managed and that's being manipulated? So, um, so those are really good symptoms and signs to look for, um, and they're things that you might witness in your workforce. But let's talk about the treatments now because there's a lot of things that we should do with diabetic patients that need to happen um, that are non-medication related. They're sort of the first line things that we do with diabetics. So talk a little bit about that. Okay, so it depends really on how high their numbers are when we first discover that their blood sugar is, is elevated. Um, but sometimes we don't need to jump to medications right away. Mm -hmm. And even with all diabetics, even if they need medications, we wanna start with some non-pharmacologic treatments um, the main ones are going to be changes with diet mm -hmm. and exercise or physical activity. And with making those changes, our hope is to have some weight loss, which can also help them with their blood sugars. Mm -hmm. So the patients, we, uh, that seems to be an epidemic here in Indiana, is obesity and the connection of obesity to type 2 diabetes or to um, the patients who are uh, insulin intolerant or insulin uh, insensitive. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that, that connection between weight and the sensitivity to your own insulin, your own body's insulin, and how that affects people showing up as diabetics. Right, so how the, the insulin works in your body is the insulin is um, supposed to drive the glucose or sugar into the cells to feed them. Mm -hmm. So um, if we get heavier when we get older or become obese, there's more cells to feed. Mm -hmm. And so in essence, you need more insulin then in order to feed those cells, which puts a lot of stress on your pancreas. So I mean, your body starts um, adjusting and accommodating for that, trying to crank out more insulin, mm -hmm. but it gets to a point where your body just can't keep up. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, then the extra sugar is just floating around in the bloodstream giving you the high blood sugar, yeah. um, and then we're not feeding all of those, those cells that need the glucose. Yeah, good. Talk a little bit about diet related to this too, because I think that some of the processed foods we eat and those sorts of things, they are so heavy on carbohydrate and they're so quickly absorbed that the surge that happens is a hard thing for our bodies to manage. We're not built to do that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Right, yeah, that's really important, and, and that's where eating the well-balanced diet fits in, too. Um, if your diet is very carbohydrate-heavy, as you said, you're going to eat those foods, your body starts to break it down, and it causes that sugar to spike up really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if we have a more well-balanced diet, where if you have things like fiber in your diet and protein in your diet, um, that kind of changes the speed at which things move through the GI tract and how fast you are absorbing those sugars. Yeah, it sort of, um, I hate to use the term flattens the curve. It, it kind of levels <laughs> it out though, yes. We're using flatten the curve for COVID, but really that's what you want to try and do with your diet is decrease the peak of the sugar that your body's got to address and it makes it more easy for your insulin elements to keep up. Right, so. and I think as you mentioned that um, Sometimes people don't realize how many carbohydrates are in, you know, prepackaged or, or processed foods. Mm -hmm. They don't understand the, the form that they're coming in. Um, a lot of people just think, okay, my blood sugar is high, so I don't want to eat foods with sugar in, but they mm -hmm. don't think about these other starchy foods that, right. that are carbohydrate that also elevate their blood sugars. Yeah, and the complex carbohydrates are mm -hmm. slow to absorb, but the ones that are proce and processed foods mm -hmm. are much less complex, and so they're quick 
to be absorbed. So that's one of the pieces of advice that we always make sure you give our patients uh, is to try and avoid as much as they can processed foods which have a much faster absorption rate. So you mentioned exercise briefly. Let's just talk about it some. How does it work? How does it help? Um, what kinds of things does exercise contribute to in terms of managing diabetics? Well, physical activity is, is causing your, um, your muscles to need more energy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the, where the sugar comes in because the sugar is supplying the energy for those muscles. Mm -hmm. So the more you move, the more you're using or, or burning up the extra sugars, mm -hmm. which is good. Um, and I think as you had mentioned earlier, um, it can also help us with maintaining or, or losing weight, you know, between that and the diet changes. Yeah, good. So um, let's move on to the medicines because I think that's really where our interest is today in terms of managing things from a, um, a clinical point of view and then how that manifests itself in the patients. So talk a little bit about the variety of approaches to medication that are used. Maybe start with the oral forms of um, glycemic agents, what has been around for a long time and are commonly used and are mm -hmm. common first steps. Let's talk about that first. Okay, so um, here in the United States, the American um, Diabetes Association puts out guidelines every single year, a very comprehensive, it's, it's actually like an issue in their journal. Um, and so the recommendations change a little bit every year, mm -hmm. um, but it is, um, it's definitely different than what we used to do. And um, one of the first medications that's recommended across the board is metformin, mm -hmm. um, or glucophage would be a brand name for that. Um, and anybody who can tolerate that medicine should be started as that, with that as their first medication for the blood sugars mm -hmm. um, because it's a medicine that really helps with the insulin resistance mm -hmm. that we were talking about. Um, and it also has some effects on the liver. So when the body thinks that it doesn't have enough sugar, your liver actually converts fats into more sugar. Mm. So if we have this blood sugar that's circulating around, even if your blood sugar is high, if your cells aren't getting fed, the body thinks it needs more sugar. Mm -hmm. So your liver is kind of working against you. And so the glucophage is a great medicine because it slows the liver down from, from overproducing that extra sugar as well. Oh, that's good. Are there any mm. other benefits that metformin has? Are there any other actions that it has? Well, one good thing about the metformin is that it's either weight neutral <laughs> in terms of patients not gaining weight due mm -hmm. to the medicine, or sometimes patients can lose a little weight. Um, unfortunately, some people get GI side effects. Mm -hmm. They can have a lot of nausea or, um, or diarrhea, and so if they're not going to tolerate the medicine, that may be a reason yeah. why. You know, mm -hmm. And that would certainly be something for, for nurses to be aware of if people are having side effects from their medication at work. How often would a person take it? Um, we can start with once a day if your sugar is, is not very high, and sometimes we go to, to twice a day. Sometimes mm -hmm. we go to bigger doses or extended release formulas of that medicine. Mm -hmm. But there's really a lot of options. Um, we're going to go through some other medicines too, but um, because metformin is such a great medicine for the type 2 diabetics, you'll see it a lot in combination medicines, uh -huh. you know, mixed mm -hmm. in with, with other types of agents to lower the blood sugar. So let's move to that category then. What what typically are the other things that might be used either as an alternative to metformin in the oral form or in combination with it? Mm -hmm. Another thing that's very common, um, it was one of our oldest kinds of medicines, they're called sulfonylureas. Mm -hmm. um, so those are things like um, glyparide, 
glyburide, glucotrol, things like that. They all have kind of like a, a glucose sounding mm -hmm. name to them. <laughs> um, and what those medicines do is they actually work on the pancreas, causing your pancreas to produce more insulin. Mm. Okay, mm -hmm. so the only downside to that is your body, um, as the sugars get higher, your body is trying to produce more insulin to, mm -hmm. to handle those sugars. So over time, um, if you've been diabetic for a while, those medicines may become ineffective because your pancreas can only crank out so much insulin. Yeah, right, you can't just keep building and building and building the production right. side. Yeah. So, and those do have some downsides, um, one of them being potential weight gain mm -hmm. for the patients. Um, and another potential side effect is hypoglycemia with the sugars going too low at times. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, because that would show itself up in workplace. That could be a potential real threat in the workplace. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right, good. So, um, so sulfonylureas are they? Do they act at the kidney level, or do, is there some kind of a diuretic effect with them, or no diuretic no, effect? No, not not that medicine. There are some medicines that do, but that one really is is working mainly on the the pancreas, just trying to get the pancreas to produce Stimulate. or put out more insulin. Good. So, are there things that do produce a loss of glucose, or that force you to excrete it, or as opposed to use it or absorb it and Store yes, it. one mm -hmm. of the newer categories of medicine does exactly that, working at the kidneys. Um, and those are going to be our, our medicines. The big category is called an SGL2 inhibitor. Okay. And so there's a big chemical name that goes along with that. But uh -huh. the, the thing that it's inhibiting is in your kidneys, um, your kidneys are trying to um, hold on to that glucose. Mm -hmm. it, it, do, it knows that your body needs it for fuel, so the right. kidneys try to reabsorb or hold on to the glucose, mm -hmm. and this medicine actually inhibits that process, causing you to excrete more glucose in your urine, well, just to get it out of the body. So it's a, a third mechanism. It's a different mechanism than the other two that we've heard about. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, unfortunately some of our, our problems or side effects with that is because we're affecting that um, you know, the kidneys and, and bladder, you have mm -hmm. increased urination. Sometimes people have problems with more kidney or bladder infections oh. and, mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah, because the glucose is a medium for mm -hmm. bacteria. It's, if you have, have it in your right. urine, it creates an opportunity. So that's interesting. All right, well, um, let's talk a little bit. Are there any other oral agents that we should mention before we move on to the injectables? Um, I think one that's a little bit older, there's a group of medicine called TZDs, and those would be your medicines like Actos and Avandia. Those have been around for a while, um, and we still use those on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, those also um, try to help out with the, the insulin resistance, mm -hmm. um, and they also help um, with the pancreas push, pushing out more insulin oh. as well. Um, the things we have to watch with that is potential weight gain and edema. Mm. And these medicines can be bad um, for anybody who's had heart problems, especially congestive heart failure, mm -hmm. because you're holding on to more fluid. Right. Yeah. And that could worsen your, your symptoms with the CHF. Yeah, and diabetics obviously are prone to cardiac diseases of a variety of types, more mm -hmm. than the other rest of our population. So there probably is a significant number of people that you can't use that med those medicines for. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, so um, so let's move on to the next categories, which are kind of the newer generation injectable medications that are non-insulin. And we're not going to spend any time today talking about insulin. If that's a conversation that is of value to you, then we'll be happy to do that. But 
But I think we did want to make sure that we talked a little bit about some of the mm -hmm. short-acting and long-acting agents that are injectable agents that um, people can use to manage, that um, PAs, nurse practitioners, and physicians can use to manage diabetics. So let's talk a little bit about those. What what can you tell me about okay. those? Okay. Well, there's a, there's a big group of them. There's a number of medicines. Um, they're called GLP-1 receptor antagonists. Okay. Or you may You're going to be tested on this later. No. So. Actually, we have this written out, and I will send you a copy of the <laughs> handout or the cheat sheet if that would be useful for you. It will be useful for <laughs> sure. So. Um, they also call these medicines incretin mimetics. Um, your body makes something called incretin. Mm -hmm. um, and what that does is it tells the pancreas when to make the insulin, you nope. know, when you're eating and, and when the body's going to need the insulin. Um, and the other thing it does is it kind of controls the rate of how fast your body is digesting and things moving through your, your GI tract. Oh. Um, so, this me so this medicine imitates what that incretin does. It kind of slows down that process so things aren't moving through the GI tract and those sugars absorbing too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and by doing that, it also sends a message to your brain um, of satiety, meaning like you're full, you oh, need to stop eating. That's interesting. Um, so that can help some patients actually with, um, with weight loss yeah. because they feel full sooner mm -hmm. and they're cutting down their portion sizes. Yeah, good. Tell me the f name of the family again, just so everybody can write it down if they didn't get um, it. These are called GLP-1 receptor antagonists. Um, and I should give you some examples because there's commercials for mm -hmm. all of these. The, the names are probably familiar to you. Um, there's Ozempic, Trulicity, Victosa. You probably have heard of quite a few of those. Yeah. So um, they're all, actually they're not all injections. They were all injections until recently. Um, and the um, timing on these varies. Um, there's one called Bietta, which it actually has to be given either once or twice a day. A lot of the newest ones are just a once a week injection. Mm -hmm. um, and now there's actually one form that's in a pill. It just came out last fall. So uh -huh. I don't have much information on that, that yet in terms of if it's as effective. Uh -huh. um, but that's the only one of these that's in pill form. What's the name of right that now. one? Right now. Um, it's called. It's semaglutide is the generic name or ribelsis. Okay. So I don't so know if you're seeing anybody with, with those medications, but, but obviously these are medicines that it's using a fourth mechanism now, which is this combination of um, imitating an existing hormone that we have um, circulating in our body that affects the GI system significantly. In addition to the pancreas, now we're talking about a fourth layer of action which is to affect your absorption rates and um, your your appetite. So um, it's pretty interesting really all these different ways that the medications are targeting potential sites where we can actually make a difference. For right, patients. and I guess along with that there's, there's one that I consider it's kind of a companion um, medicine mm -hmm. in terms of how it works and this is one of the pills that we had kind of skipped through. They're called DPP-4 inhibitors um, one of the main ones there is Genuvia. Oh, yeah. So these have been out for a little bit. Um, but there's actually um, a hormone in your body that breaks down the incretin. Mm -hmm. And so what this medicine does is inhibits that hormone, that DPP-4, from breaking down the incretin so that the incretin can be in your system longer. Um, again, giving you that feeling of satiety and telling yeah. the pancreas to crank out the insulin now. Um, so they kind of go hand in hand. These are in pill form though. Yeah, that's really interesting. So that mm -hmm. medicine basically mm -hmm. allows you to keep your own incretin longer. It's, you don't exactly. have to actually replace the incretin uh, mimicking thing. You actually have your own. It just keeps mm -hmm. it around better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. 
All right, good. Well, um, so those are a lot of the um, medications that are um, on the market now, and I'll be curious to hear from you guys about who and if your patients are seeing any of the um, these medicines show up and if you're seeing any complications or challenges from it. Um, uh, just a reminder that diabetes really, it's its principal attack zone in the body. I mean, there's a lot of ways that it harms your body if your sugars aren't controlled, but a lot of its um, consequences are in the vascular tree, both microvascular and macrovascular. Um, so heart disease um, and hypertension and a variety of those things are part of this. But in addition to that, the little microvessels that are part of our circulation to the tips of our fingers, to the skin, to um, some of the other places in our body where the retina, for instance, it affects our vision. All of those things are the direct consequences of having your sugar running too high too long. So, uh, for more information about office locations and practitioners with Indiana University Health Fort Wayne, go to iuhealth.org backslash Fort Wayne. To schedule an appointment with any of our outstanding primary care physicians, call 260-234 Five four zero zero. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Doctor Is In. We hope you join us next time too.